Thank you, Alex. I've got loads of stories that I can share later uh, about him. He was brilliant, but he was tricky. Um, <laughs> worship, stunning. I want to say that, Jack, amazing. You guys are probably used to that, worship. Um, but I've done a lot of churches over 26 years, a lot of church plants, a lot of worship leaders. That is stunning worship, and, and thank you. Uh, you're very blessed to have that team. So we were in the prison this morning. Uh, we were speaking to about 50 or 60 uh, men, and um, I shared a few thoughts, and we had some worship. Alex did some. And we were talking on, on hope and, and persevering. Because when, when you're in, Nick, it's not a great, great place to be uh, for obvious reasons. Um, but what they do is they lose hope. And they lose this ability to, um, to dig in and persevere and push through. Uh, like, like, again, Alex was saying at the beginning. Uh, but we have to do that. So I wanted to share a few thoughts on, um, on persevering. And, and I think the world we're living in today is really complicated. Uh, and, and it feels quite unstable, and especially if, you, if you're young. I just think it's harder. I know I'm getting old now, but I think it's a harder place to be. It's quite unstable. The last four or five years have been a real testing time uh, for lots of obvious reasons, what's been going on around the world. You know, from lots of shortages, everything seems to be broken, can't be fixed. It's more expensive than it was. You know, there's over 45 wars going on around the world as I speak now all over the place. So there's turmoil and everything that, that's going on. Uh, there's rebellion, there's anger, there's confusion, there's, there's separation. And what we need to have is patience. And if you're like me, uh, that's in short supply. I'm not that good at it. We also need wisdom. And we need tolerance uh, with people and people who are not like us. And, and that can be hard work at time, times. We need empathy. And again, I think what we need is a lot of perseverance to, to push through. The definition for perseverance in the dictionary is, is quite extraordinary. Let me read it to you, what it says. It says to continue in a course of action, even in the face of difficulty, or with little or no prospect of success. That's depressing. You know, so in other words, it's about pushing on, it's about having disability, this ability, it's about digging in, it's about going forward with your dream, your vision, your passion, whatever it is, but not possibly succeeding in getting where you're going, but still pushing forward. That's perseverance. And my own journey of perseverance started after I attended uh, an Alpha course at the Holy Trinity Brompton at, at the church in London. I was um, just over 40 years of age, and on that course, that's where I became a Christian. And for me, it was qu quite a moment, uh, without boring you with it all, but I, I kind of just met with him on an Alpha weekend. Uh, on the Holy Spirit talk and he just hit me right between the eyes it was about unconditional love the, the speaker was talking about God loving us and I had this moment which we may have had in this room and, uh, and I felt God say I love you and I'm going to help you and we can change things together and for me when I unpack my story with you now that was completely overwhelming and it's there that uh, I also that was the good part the hard part was I had to start facing my demons and my anxieties and my fears and everything else that I'd put in a box and locked away for over 40 years and never let anyone near it. On that course, I, um, I heard lots of scriptures. You know, it's a fantastic course to go on if you're thinking about it. Um, and the two scriptures that stuck in my head 
Uh, well, one in Romans, Romans 5, verses 3 to 5, where it says that our suffering, our struggles, whatever you want to call it, develop perseverance. Perseverance then develops our character, and character then develops hope. And when we have that hope, God pours his love into that hope, our hearts, and that is a hope that doesn't disappoint. And I heard that, and for me, it just went off in my heart. That's a hope that doesn't disappoint. And the other scripture I remember on there was in the Old Testament, Jeremiah 29, where it says, God has his good and perfect plan, a plan to prosper us and not to harm us, a plan to give us hope and a future. And I thought, God's got a plan. That's really cool. Uh, I didn't know he had a plan. No one told me he had a plan with my name on it. And again, it mentioned that little word, hope. And those two scriptures, for me, had three truths. One was that God had this plan for us, which was really exciting if we wanted to explore it. Secondly, that it might involve a bit of a struggle. It might be a bit bumpy along the way, but we're going to get there because God loves us. And the third one was that he loves us unconditionally. Massive word, unconditionally. That means wherever we are, what we've done, where we've been, where we came from, what happened. Not interested. He doesn't care. He just loves us unconditionally. And again, that was overwhelming. And it's also, he loves us unconditionally, whether you know him or not, whether you want to get to know him or not, whether you're interested in him or not, he still loves you unconditionally. Doesn't happen very often, that, I can assure you. But what happens if you don't know that there's a plan? What happens if you don't know that all the stuff that you've been through, no matter what age you are, the struggles that you've been through and what you've had to go through, What if you don't know that all that stuff is leading towards this plan where God's going to change your character, develop the hope, pour his love into it, and everything's going to crack on and it's going to be brilliant? And what if you've been disappointed most of your life? And even worse, what if you've been disappointed in yourself most of your life? What if you've had any hope that you've had knocked out of you during your life and disappointed in so many ways? So I was a bit of a slow starter with all this God stuff. Like I said, I was just over 40 years of age. And at that time, I had no plan, really, except my own. No understanding of why I'd gone through the stuff I'd gone through, which I'll share a bit with you. And no understanding that God could put all that stuff together. And what wasn't great, he could turn into great, to quote a scripture. And I didn't know that there was a purpose for me that I was created to do something. And I didn't know that either, because no one ever told me that. I had no one around to explain that there's any type of alternative plan. I had no one around to tell me about faith, like you're exploring and developing in here. Or any choice that I could choose something else. That was just my uh, upbringing. You know, there's lots of things you can't choose in your life. Some things are just not your fault. You can't choose who your parents are. You can't choose the area that you grew up in. You can't choose your schooling that you go to, uh, the attitude of those people around you, the color of your skin, whether you're rich or poor, whether your family is godly or not godly, atheistic or whatever they are, or whatever faith they are or no faith. And my family, the Cowley family, had none of those. We, we were just a really dysfunctional family. The Cowley family was not a godly family. You know, my, both my parents were alcoholics. My father was from Toxteth, 
not that far from here, six foot two, three in his prime, a lunatic, to be honest, uh, my dad. Um, you know, my grandfather, my dad's dad, was a, a bare-knuckle street fighter in Liverpool. So you can see the background my dad uh, came from. Uh, my mother was from Birkenhead, again, not far from here, um, and she was about five foot, and she was a nightmare as well. I mean, she could start an argument in an empty room. My mum... My mom, my mum was about five foot, and she was a tornado. My father was very violent, not to me, but to anyone else that didn't agree with him. And my mother was as violent, but violent verbally. And she could cut you to pieces. And they were a real combination. And when it was good, it was brilliant, but it wasn't good uh, a, a lot of the time. Uh, they were both really dysfunctional, as I've just described. It came from dysfunctional families themselves, divorce, children, all that sort of stuff, you know, alcoholism. And they were both atheists. Not interested in God at all, so I was not interested in God because you learn from your parents. The school I went to never did anything about faith or religion, and I knew nothing about that stuff. So I grew up for those 40 years not having an alternative view on life. I just had my mom and dad's view on life and how I got through it. Uh, my childhood was, was a bit lonely. don't want you to feel sorry for me, but it lacked any guidance, and I lived in this very adult world. My parents had systematically got rid of every relationship they ever had family-wise. My father had a, a brother and some sisters. My mother had five sisters and a brother and actually got rid of all of them, didn't want to speak to them, didn't agree with them, so binned them. So that meant I had no uncles, no aunties, no cousins, no nieces, no nephews, all that sort of stuff that you would have in a normal family. So I was on my own, and it was mostly uh, adults. So no encouragement, no wise counsel, no structure, no emotional um, support. And like I said, unfortunately, no God. It just didn't do, the Cowleys didn't do God. And for me and many other people, what that ends up with is a lack of hope. In fact, there's a scripture in Proverbs that says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. So I had no hope, as we can describe it. And my plan, God's plan, but my plan, kicked in when I was about 15, 16 years of age. Uh, firstly, I was expelled from my school for truancy. Uh, I ended up in a, a Manchester comprehensive school, and it was a nightmare. I was bullied in there. If you've ever been bullied, you know what that's like. And I ran away, uh, to be honest, and I ended up getting expelled. At the same time that happened, I got into a, an argument with my father in one of these drunken Sundays that he came home. He went to hit my mum, and I stood in the gap, and I, and I got the clout that my, uh, my mum was going to get. And my father threw me out. And in my arrogance and my youth, I said, right, I've had enough. And I started to think that it must be better out there than it is in here, in the home, because it was like a war zone, and I couldn't bear it as, as a kid anymore. So I left home, I ran out, and I realized I've got nowhere to go, so I was on the streets. I was homeless for a while in Manchester. I lived in a, a bus shelter for a, a few days uh, in Manchester, Piccadilly, and then I got involved uh, with a group of, um, of people, a bit dodgy, and they took me into a squat in a place called Stockport just outside Manchester. It was uh, an empty house, and we moved in there. And, uh, and all sorts of stuff were going on. I won't bore you with that, but it was a dodgy place. And it's there that I, I can say, fell into, was led into petty crime. And it's there that I got in trouble, and it's there I started to thieve and nick stuff, uh, and it's there that I started this relationship with the police. So by 17, I was, um, I was really out of my depth. Um, I had no idea what I was doing, and I was, I was in trouble, really. 
Um, I was getting in trouble with the police, the fines, probation, magistrates, court, all leading eventually to being in front of a magistrate and them saying to me, you are not listening to what we're doing. You, my son, are going to prison, and I hope it teaches you a lesson. And instead of walking out, cheeky chappy, with another fine, I went down the stairs into a cell, got into a prison van, and went to Risley Prison, uh, which was then a detention center and a borstal. And it was a horrible place. Its nickname, it's still a prison now, was called Grizzly Risley. Uh, not a great place to be. And people come out of prison, like I mentioned, they come out of prison and they come out different. It, it breaks you. It's not a great place. And for me, I came out with a total sense of insecurity and, and being scared. And I was terrified about getting into a relationship or making friends with anybody in case I got in trouble again and ended up back in that place. And it was a real fear for me, and it shut me down. And I got a bed sit, I, I got a, a job through a friend driving a transit van, cash in hand, and I worked in a bar at night, and that's all I did. I didn't speak to anybody, and it was a really dark time uh, for me. And at 21, I got my first break. I joined the army, really exciting. They took me on board. I joined in Fountain Street in Manchester. Uh, I married my girlfriend at the time because I had to. They don't do girlfriends in the army. They do wives. And then I was posted to Germany, and a, a year later, uh, working in my regiment, um, we had a child, uh, Clinton. My son was born. When he was three, I started to panic. I, I couldn't handle the responsibility of looking after someone else, my wife, having all the responsibilities of being a husband and a father and looking after this little thing, my boy, I couldn't do it. It really freaked me out. So I got divorced at the age of 24, sent them packing back to the UK, and I got on with my life in the army, and I loved it for a while. Then I didn't like being on my own, so I got married again at 26, and then a year later, or a year and a half later, uh, I got another divorce. And that was my plan. That was my life. It was full of sort of drink, divorce, debt, isolation, selfishness, and I think a lot of despair. But I wouldn't tell you that because I wouldn't be vulnerable. So basically, I ran away from all the responsibilities of being a husband, of being a father, of trying to be a man. I was just terrible at it. I'd use you, I'd abuse you, I'd just take what I wanted, and then I'd bin you and I'd move on. And, and I'm not on my own like that, but that's what I was brought up to be without making any excuses. I was living these two lives, my military life and my professional life, and, and they weren't aligned. My military life was going really well. I was a, a really good soldier, and I spent nearly seven, or just over 17 years in the army, two tours in Northern Ireland, the Falklands campaign, four regiments, and I finished up in the Army Physical Training Corps as an adventure trainer, a climber, a skier, all that nice stuff, uh, and it was brilliant. And I learned a lot in that time. The army was my education, both physically, it saved my life, it became my family, it fed me, it watered me, gave me friends, it gave me travel, it taught me leadership skills. It brought everything out of me that was in there but had been pushed down. And, and, I, and I loved the, the military. You know, and in the army, one of the things that they do all the time is they, they train you to plan and to prepare. For, for any sort of possible event that might happen, so you're always ready for it. You're not caught, you're not surprised. And they have this thing called the, um, always be prepared, it's called the seven Ps. I can only do six in the church, because one of them I can't really talk about in church, but it, it's proper prior planning prevents uh, poor performance. 
So if you plan everything and you prep it all and you get it all ready, then you're probably going to succeed in what you do. And I thought that's really good and that's what I did in the military. But I couldn't do it in my own life. I couldn't plan or prepare for anything. It was just a complete nightmare, everything I did. And like Alex said there, sat in the chair, I just seemed to get in one sort of mistake after another mistake. Then I couldn't get out of it. Then it expanded. Then it got worse. And then I panicked. And then I flapped. And then I ran away. That's what I did all the time. And it's really hard to be prepared and plan in an effective way if you're broken or if you're lost or if you just can't cope or if you're really scared. You can't do that stuff. And at some point, we have to take stock. And at some point, we have to acknowledge that and we have to face our demons and our fears and our anxieties. And again, I don't care how old you are in here. You know, and those fears might be lack of education, dysfunctional angry family, drink, debt, fear of the future, financial insecurity, they were all mine. Just some of them that up to the age of 40 had been stuck around me and were actually, they were killing me. They were closing me down, but I didn't know it. And I had nowhere to go with it. They might not be yours, but there might be some in there. King Xerxes, who was Persia's king of kings, uh, an amazing king in some way. You read about him in the book of uh, Esther. He's the king in there. He was quoted as saying this, great things are achieved by embracing great dangers. Great things are achieved by embracing great dangers. And I realized then, professionally, I was brave, and I was a good soldier, and I was ready to face any danger. Northern Ireland in the, in the 70s wasn't a great place. The Falklands campaign, various sort of skirmishes I've been in, didn't worry me at all. I was prepped and prepared for all that stuff. Uh, but um, personally, I was terrified. You wouldn't think so in an army uniform. I was good. But inside, I was terrified. I was scared. I was unprepared uh, to embrace danger, especially anything emotional. Proverbs 13, 12 says, you know, hope deferred makes the heart sick. If we haven't got hope, that we can be something, do something, change something, move into something, then we're in a tricky place. And you may be feeling that tonight, or hopefully you're not. And in those dark days, I had no hope, really. So, just three quick thoughts that if you are in that place, and I hope to God you're not, but if you are, how you might get out of it, or some three thoughts that, that helped me get out of that despair, apart from the love of God, and persevere and get through it. First point is to persevere and remember that God has that plan for you. Jeremiah 29, verse 11. God has a good and perfect plan, a plan to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you hope in the future. That's you. The plan is specially designed for you. It's custom built uh, for you. But it might not be your plan. So you might have to surrender your plan. He might ask you to put it down and have a look at a new thing, which he did with me. Leave the church, start for a food retail business. Not what I had in store for me at the end of my church career. But it was a plan, and I had to put mine down. And sometimes God allows this discouragement, frustration, disappointment, I think even failure, to enter our lives. Why would you think he'd do that? In my opinion, for what it's worth, it's to get our attention. Because while things are going brilliantly and everything's fine, and we're doing all right and everything's great... We don't listen to him. We don't hear that still small voice. 
But when we're in a panic or when we're scared or we're anxious or something's going on, then we are tuned a little bit more finely to possibly hear his voice. I believe that God sometimes lets us get into these difficult situations. Again, why? So we can get our attention and we can listen to him. Or someone might say something or you read something. And those situations can cause us to focus, to be receptive to that still small voice. Maybe open our hearts, take a chance, open our eyes to see him. Maybe ask for help quietly, discreetly with someone we trust. But sometimes God can come incognito. I think he's kind of sneaky at times. He comes in disguise, maybe as a, a friend or a stranger or a film or a book or a breakfast meeting or a piece of scripture that sort of bounces out at you. He's trying to get your attention all the time, trying to get your attention. The Bible says that he chases us, that song that he hunts us down, that he's passionate about us. So he's always trying to get our attention. And for almost 40 years, I didn't think that God knew, cared, or bothered with anyone like me. I'd be too ashamed to share all my background with you. It's embarrassing. But God knows us and knows what we need. Not always what we want, but knows what we need. And it's different for all of us. For me, I needed boundaries and I needed structure. So I believe that he put me in the military, and that helped with some of those things, uh, professionally, but not emotionally. You know, I needed his plan, not mine. I needed his strength, not mine. I needed his ability, because I have strength. You know, I have a plan, and I have ability, but not his, until someone on that Alpha course talked to me and helped me. And once I came to Christ, once I was found, rescued, whatever you want to call it, and I turned to God for guidance, my mind started to be renewed. Alex was telling me where is his house is getting rewired. And I had this complete rewiring. And it's hard work. For 40 years, I was thinking and working in this one direction. What I'd been programmed from a kid, the Cowley family, my father, my grand, all that stuff. Then I meet with God and he goes, no, no, let's rip that lot out. It's bad wiring. It's not really good stuff. It's not working. I want it all out. And I had to go through a complete rewire. And, rewire, and that is... Um, that is not easy, and that, um, that script, you know, be renewed by the transformation of your mind, that's what he had to start to do with me, to make me think different, to look at people differently. And like King Xerxes said, you know, great things are achieved by embracing great dangers. So like Esther in that book, she faced her fears to a point where she may have died, but she had a bigger cause, and she faced them all. And it turned out. So I had to face my demons and my fears with God's help. And, and he did it. You know, I married the woman I was living with for eight years. Uh, Amanda, my wife here on the front row looking at me. Hoping I'm not going to say anything that I'm not supposed to say. But I felt God say to me, why don't you marry the woman you're living with? And I had this little conversation with God. Uh, can you just remember the two divorces and, you know, the two marriages? I don't really do marriage. I'm, I'm not good at it. The Cowleys are all divorced. All the men, they're all womanized. They're, they're just not good at it. Ask her to marry you. I thought, well, God's told me to marry her. That would be cool. So I met with Amanda. We went to a, a coffee shop. And while we were having coffee, I, I pushed a little ring. I'd bought two very cheap rings from a second-hand shop. And I pushed these two rings towards her in the middle of the table. And she said, what are they for? I said, well, 
I thought we might get married. She went, why? I said, well, God said we should get married. And she said, well, he didn't say that to me. And we had an argument, and we fell out, and she disappeared to her friends for over a week, and I went home, got drunk on a bottle of red wine. And I remember thinking, this is a good plan. It's not, it's not working. My plan was better. But in the end, she came back to me, and we chatted, and we got married. Um, and we've been married for a long time. How many? 30 years. Come on, 30 years. Do you know, uh, do you know that's a miracle for me in the Cowley family? Nobody has been married that long in the Cowley family as far as I can trace back. And I don't want to go too far back because it gets quite dark uh, in my family. But it's extraordinary that God said to me, I'm rewiring you, you can be a good husband. Even though I said no, he said, but I'm with you this time. It's going to be different. I told you I left my son when he was three. I got Clinton back in my life. Um, I was phobic about having children for obvious reasons because of Clinton. And God said, come on, have a child. I don't really do children that well. Do you know, Amanda wanted a, a child. I really didn't. God said, stop it. Stop it. I can make you a good dad. You can be a good dad. And Phoebe's now 25 and she's gorgeous. And hopefully I'm trying to be a good dad to her. And besides that, you know, priest in the Church of England, how that happened, I have no idea, really, but it just did. I'm not going to overthink that too much. I got in, uh, and I've been doing that. And God gave me this purpose, this calling, a vision, a dream, a passion, whatever you want to call it. Like Alex asked me to work with those on the margins of society. Why? Because I was on the margins of society, and I messed up all the time. And the stuff that we do, which is not good, God turns into stuff that is good. And that's what I was doing in the prison this morning, sharing hope. And we can all do that, to encourage people by telling them your story. Mark Twain said, you know, the two most important days in our life are the day you're born, obviously, and the next day is when you, the next most important is when you found out why you were born. And when I came to Christ, I found out why I was born. Sounds cheesy, but it's true. I know God has a purpose for me. And that's what I'm trying to do. I struggle with it from time to time. I don't think I'm very good at it. And it's not easy. But he says, come on, we'll do it together. Get yourself back up again. Let's crack on. Let's go in again and do it again. Let's try another talk. Let's try another meeting. I love it. It's so exciting. That's my relationship with him. And I've learned really that it's, uh, it's more nobler to have the courage as we stumble into these things that we fear and make mistakes than to analyze every single obstacle that comes before us and not do anything about it and get frozen in fear and I guess some of you are in that position as well second quick point persevere and remember don't let your past dictate your future just because you came from that background or just because you did that doesn't mean the second half of your life or even the first half has to be the same it can be different don't let your past dictate your future don't get stuck at looking at life through other people's eyes. You know, that could be parents or friends or family members, work colleagues, our superiors, schooling, university, whatever it is. Don't be them, be you. God says you are unique. There's no one like you. You know, don't get caught up in their cynicism, their anger, their values, their preconceived ideas on God. I hated God and church and Christians, and I didn't know anyone, never been to church, didn't know anything about the Christian faith. Why? Because that's what my father was. He was a bigot. And he was an atheist. And that's what I became. Why? Because I listened to him. I became him. Until God said, stop it. You're your own self. You're unique. 
let me teach you. Let me rewire you. Let me show you some stuff. And if we're not careful, we can end up like them. Uh, and, and that's what I did. You know, the things we go through in life are not always our fault. You know, the people in prison who commit crime, no excuses for crime, but it's not always their fault. There's a history when you take the lid off the box and you look in there. It's not always our fault. And the things that we did can help us if we are willing to change and let God in. Remember that you're different from anybody else. You're uniquely made. You're forged. Psalm 139. I knew you in your mother's womb. I knew you in the secret places. I'll never leave you nor forsake you even to the end of time. You're really special people. And God has a plan and a purpose for you. And you're not often told that. I'm sure you are by your preacher or your pastor. But you're not always told that in society. And I'll tell you, you are special. You are unique. There's nobody like you. And there's a plan for you that you can walk into if you want to explore it. Be yourself, but be prepared to persevere on improving yourself. You know that passage in Romans. Suffering develops perseverance. Perseverance develops character. Character develops hope. And that is a hope that does not disappoint. Last point. Persevere and remember that God can transform us. When you look at people in the Bible, some of them are complete lunatics, crazy people. But God had a plan for them, and they listened to him, and they struggled, and they argued, and they were disobedient, and some were, some weren't. And then we will struggle until we understand our purpose. Or maybe to you let that plan down that you're holding on to and you're pushing with all the time, it's really hard for God to get in there. Only then will we see the extraordinary things that God has in store for you. And he may have started that already. Because despair says nothing matters. Whatever I do, it's never going to change. What's the point? This is me. This is what I do. This is what I've always been. I'm not wealthy enough. I'm not educated enough. I'm not in the right place. I don't wear the right clothes. I haven't got the right friends. That's despair. The opposite to despair is hope. Hope goes, come on, this is brilliant. You're just at the right place. You're the right size, you're the right shape, you're the right everything. Come on, let's crack on, let's get things done. You are a perfect fit for this plan. That's hope. And you have to choose which one you want to listen to. So try and persevere in your brokenness. You know, many of the, uh, Thomas Edison said this, many of life's failures are people who did not realize how close they were to success when they give up. You might be one step from entering that plan and a whole world opening up that God's got in store for you. And it's all waiting there just, just for you to take that step. Don't give up. Persevere in that stuff that you're going through. Don't be tempted to quit like I'm sure you are. And I wanted just to leave you with a challenge, really, before I give you back to Alex. Is I want to challenge you today to see that your brokenness, your fears, your anxieties, whatever they might be, as the end of your journey. And maybe tonight might be the start of all that stuff that you've gone through, which I'm sure is painful in lots of different ways. You step out of that and you step into that hope. And a whole new world starts to open that you will have no idea about until you step into it. I said this morning, a little test for them, for everybody. Put your hand up and be honest. Don't worry about the person next to you. Put your hand up. No one's going to ask you. If you've got a plan or a vision or a passion or an idea or a thought in your heart, but you haven't shared it, come on, don't lie to me. I can see you. There's more. Something in there that you'd like to do, 
but you've never really been brave enough to either say it, speak it, or do it? Is there something in there? Just put your hand up. All those things that are in there and the ones that are not putting their hand up, because I know there's more of you, all those things that sit in there, they will sit in there unless you speak it out. I'm old now, so I'm going to be brave and tell you. Speak it out. I remember, just to finish, I was in a group. I was a Christian. Me and Amanda were running a home group, and we went away to a wedding. One of the group got married, and we went to the bar in the afternoon, and we were drinking and having fun and chatting and everything. And one of the girls, Meryl, who was a fashion designer, said, let's play a game. Let's play a game that if we weren't doing what we're doing, what would we really want to be? There's about ten of us. And they all went round. One of them said, I'd like to be an airline pilot. Someone said this, I'd like to work in, in, in retail. I'd like to do this, I'd like to do that. And they were all different things. And it was getting to me. And I was getting in a real sweat. I was really panicking and hoping and wishing that she hadn't started this stupid game. <laughs> and it was getting to me. And I thought, I can't say what I want to say. Because what I wanted to say was, I want to be a vicar. And it was so far removed for me as a person. And it got to me, and Mel said, so, Paul, what do you want to be if you weren't doing what you're doing now? I was running a health club at the time. Um, I said, uh, um, wow, is that the time? Um, and she said, come on, what do you want to be? And I remember closing my eyes and going, I want to be a vicar. And then opening them like that and thinking everyone would be falling off their bar stools laughing. And they went, yeah, I can see you. Yeah, I can see you as a vicar. That was the first time I'd spoken that out. And it was so stuck in here that God had to force it out by Merrill playing a stupid game. And as soon as I verbalized it and it came out, you know what happens spiritually? The devil can't own it. He can't have it. Because what you've done is you've spoken it out. I want to be a vicar. Massive process. Took a long time to get me through college, you can imagine. But I spoke it out and God goes, brilliant. Now we can start the plan. Now we can introduce you to people. Now I can put people in front of you. Now I can get this plan going. Now I've got all this stuff, this homeless stuff, this charity stuff, this prison. I've got it. It's so exciting. Because I spoke it out on a bar stool. It all kicked in. And that's why I'm doing what I'm doing now. So that's why I said to you, if you've got something inside you, speak it out. Even if it sounds stupid, because then God can work with it, or he can change it for you. And go, brilliant. You want to be a rocket scientist. That's absolutely fantastic. But I've got this other idea for you. Why don't we try this one? So, remember, in my life, I've been a thief, a prisoner, a soldier, uh, and, and, and a priest, and now a director of retail for Iceland Foods. <laughs> Still sounds weird when I say that. But God has a plan. And I'm doing everything that I've learned and struggled and put together and all that stuff and what he's done and he's taken it all and he's put it in a bowl and it's called the Director of Rehabilitation for Iceland Foods. How he does that, I have no idea. And you know what? I don't care. Not interested. I'm not going to overthink it. I just knew what I was and I know what I am. And God has that plan for every single one of you. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity to share thoughts about you, about our journey about our vision, about our passion, about whatever it is. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us tonight. I pray that whatever is in there, that you have put in there, whether we know you or not, that you help to develop it and that we would be brave enough at some point and some place just to speak it out. And then your plan 
not only for our salvation, but for change and everything else to other people can start to action. In Jesus' name, amen.